You're listening to the HR Happy Hour Show with hosts Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland. Since 2009, the HR Happy Hour Show has been bringing you thought leaders, workplace and technology experts, academics, and more to take on the most important and interesting topics impacting work, human resources, technology, and the workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net. Welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name is Steve Bowes. I am joined by, of course, Trish McFarland. Trish, how are you today? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you today? That's the real question. I am well, and uh, it's uh, been an interesting morning so far here at HR Happy Hour HQ South. Uh, I will say, just in case we hear any uh, loud noises or shrieks or screams, we are under a tornado, I believe a warning, uh, certainly a warning uh, of some kind. My phone's gone off a few times this morning. We're recording this on a Thursday morning, and it, the weather is awful. So if I, if you lose me, Trish, carry on without me and you know check on me later if you don't mind. I will, but I do have a question for you. So, I mean, obviously, from New Jersey, have lived most of your life than up north. Have you ever been under a tornado warning before? Is this your first? I, Trish, I'm disappointed you don't remember this, but it is not my first. My uh, This is my second. And uh, as well as on my first, both times I had talked to you, uh, I was under one, I was traveling somewhere in Florida, can't remember where, and, we and I was in a pretty high rise hotel, <laughs> and there was a tornado warning, and I called you. <laughs> and so we oh, I, about I, now that you say that, I do remember, and I probably told you then what I told you now, since I live, you know, in Tornado Alley, so like, if a warning comes up here in the St. Louis area, we're like, oh, okay, another day at the office, right? So I'm right. like, you're fine. <laughs> So let's hope that's the hope that's let's, the case. Right? Let's hope. Uh, okay, so let's do a couple things real quickly, and then we'll get yeah. our guest on board. Um, man, the show's doing great. We're so excited. We did record our Oscar show, and by the time this show posts, the Oscars would have passed. But if you want to listen back and hear how we did in our predictions for the Oscars, exactly. you can check out that show in the archive as well. We also got some great shows around developing yourself and uh, diversity and inclusion with uh, respect to autoimmune diseases in the workplace, which I thought was a really interesting conversation as well. So a lot of good stuff um, we've been doing lately. Uh, super excited about where the sh- how the show's been going. Um, we are looking for more uh, topics, ideas, guests, et cetera. You can tweet at us at HR Happy Hour con- or contact us through the new and improved and looking really spiffy, I must say, hrhappyhour.net. And of course, check out the Alexa show as well. Closing in on 200 episodes, I think uh, one or two away from 200 HR happy hours on Alexa, Trish, by the way. That's amazing. That really, you know what? I love doing sort of the mini podcast format. I just think it's so valuable. And it really just is such a nice supplement to what we do here with a little bit longer podcasting. It's, uh, I don't know, we can cover topics really quickly that way. I have one. Um, I know to record one later today. I hope I get to it. Um, if we don't float away, but it, I'll just tease it a little bit. It's going to be around this concept called Marchetti's constant. Trish, I don't know if you've ever heard of that Marchetti's constant. I have, but I don't recall what that is. Can you give us a little twenty second? What is that? It, it's got something to do with how uh, people, how happy they are in their jobs with respect to how long they have to commute to get to work. That, that's what it's about. Oh, yeah. So, I'll be talking about that on the Alexa show. We'll tease it. So um, okay, very good. 
Last thing, Trish, we're super excited to welcome our friends at Paychex, our new sponsor. This HR Happy Hour show is sponsored by Paychex. Paychex makes it simple for businesses of all sizes to pay and manage their employees. They make payroll easy and automatic, and they handle benefits programs as well. Paychex guides businesses through their human resources challenges by keeping them up to date with ever-changing laws and regulations, online and mobile, over the phone, in person, any combination you would like. With Paychex, they work with you the way you want to work, and you can learn more about them at Paychex, P-A-Y-C-H-E-X dot com. And we're so excited to have them on board this year. I know. I am so excited. I just feel like this is such a good fit for us and hopefully for them. So welcome to Paychex. We're glad to have you on board. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, let's get on with it, Trish. We had a good topic today. One we discussed in the pre-show we have never covered in uh, like 11 years of podcasting, which is around servant leadership. Our guest today is Giovanni Gallo. He's the co-CEO and chief development officer at Compliance Line a provider of case management, exclusion screening, and whistleblower, that's in the news, right? Hotline mm-hmm. solutions for leaders to gain visibility and clarity to care for their people. He leads Compliance Line's people, solutions, and process development, enabling compliance professionals to more effectively protect their teams and serve their company missions. Giovanni, welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. And please, if you don't mind, give us a weather update uh, where you're located. <laughs> Hey guys, uh, glad to be here. I love the show. I love what you guys do. And I'm really proud to uh, be here and contributing today. Uh, So today is my birthday, probably not by the time we uh, launch this. Uh, It'll probably be over. But uh, this is a great celebration to talk about something I really deeply care about um, serving others uh, with you and your audience. So the weather here is in the past five minutes, it's gone from overcast to just pouring. Uh, I'm a little bit closer to the center of Charlotte. Uh, than you, and uh, I'm also under the same severe weather tornado warning, but I've been in the Midwest a bunch, and I know better than to be scared until the until I see <laughs> some uh, trees and cars flying by. <laughs> yeah, what, what are the, yeah, I know that's so funny. What are the odds that, you know, we do the show, and I'm here now in, in North Carolina, and only been here a few months, that uh, first tornado warning, our guest is also in, in the same tornado <laughs> warning area <laughs> as myself. So. I feel that's left so out. Hopefully we both survive. Yeah, I mean, come on over. Let's hope. Oh Let's my goodness. Well, Giovanni, well, thanks so much for doing well. this. And happy birthday, yeah. I don't Thank know you. that we've had any guest celebrate their birthday on the happy hour. So I think you're also a first in that regard, too. We're breaking all kinds of records today, guys. We really this are. Be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Giovanni, let's let's start with the easy part. Uh, maybe, you know, we gave a little bio, a little background on compliance line, but maybe if you want to expand on that, uh, either compliance line, sort of what's happening there, maybe a little about you too, besides, you know, we know that you're, you know, getting ready to duck and cover, but, uh, and it's your birthday. Is there anything else we need to know? Yeah, sure. So I'll talk about a compliance line first. I always want to put, you know, my team and what we're trying to do um, in front and um, yeah, so your overview and intro was completely spot on. Um, just a little different angle on that. Here at Compliance Line, we really see ourselves as not just providing services, compliance and HR services to leaders, but really being servants to our clients. Um, and we're really proud that we're, you know, this one unified team that cares for and helps leaders care for over 6 million people around the world. So that's through, like you mentioned, our whistleblower hotlines, our case management software, our data enhancement um, for GRC and stuff like that. Um, but you know, we, we really have a great team here that we've been around for over 20 years. I've been at the company for about four. 
Um, and, you know, the compliance line has grown by really putting our clients first by, you know, it was in the spirit of our founders and in how we approach both the, you know, the, the direct service we provide to employees and to the leaders who kind of, you know, directly contract with us. Um, and also just, you know, how we've done our innovation. It's really just focused on understanding HR professionals, compliance leaders, ethics experts, what they need and trying to give them the best of that and going beyond what a lot of people experience with a vendor. You know, we're, we're, we all live in this kind of matrix um, uh, world where we have a bunch of outsourced services and we have a bunch of, you know, things that we buy that are not done by directly by our team. And, you know, my personal experience as a, a leader is that a lot of times vendors need to be forced to do what, you know, they're contracted to do. And really at the core of the servanthood that is really kind of the most core of our core internal values is making sure that we're anticipating needs and really helping the people who are trying to care for the people in their organization get that job done. Um, and we're really um, excited to do that every day. Um, oh, and then about me. So uh, I run Compliance Line with my brother. He and I are co-CEOs. Um, we come from, we're a first generation American family. We, my, my father immigrated from Cuba and we've kind of grown up in, you know, we were born in this country and we've grown up kind of really understanding about a lot of the special things that are available here. And for us, that has been through understanding the importance and impact that providing a good job for people, providing them a good workplace. My parents were entrepreneurs and we saw them do that stuff kind of with that family business attitude. And then we kind of brought that into our professional lives. And um, we, we've just, you know, our whole lives kind of had an eye on everyone spends so much of their waking hours at work and the impact that, you know, I think my brother and I and our whole team can have on the world by helping improve the workplace is really something that we're passionate about and we love and we try to do that within our own company and the culture that we build and then obviously the extension of that through our call it thousand clients and six million employees wow great great stuff giovanni thank you for the overview and, and the background and uh, uh and, and i'm glad we're able to talk about it here you know it's it's such an interesting way that you're talking about how you started the company i didn't realize that it was started with your brother i mean just this idea of servant leadership and, and you, you know, already have, have started talking about caring and caring for your team and, and creating a culture of caring with your team. Is that something that, that goes back to your parents? Is that what really sort of got you started? Because it's an interesting, interesting way to start a company, especially with a sibling. And I work with a sibling, so I'd just be interested oh, to hear cool. your take on that. And if it was your family values that really drove you down that path initially, or how did that happen? Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you asking, Trish. Um, so just to clarify, my brother and I didn't found the company. We um, we joined the company four years ago and Compliance Line was started uh, in the 20th century, the late 1900s, um, <laughs> kind of over 20 years ago. Um, it sounds but, like a long know, time ago. <laughs> it does, right? You know, back in the 1900s. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, uh, but yeah, to, to your point, a lot of the way that we approach things um, comes from our upbringing and what we saw there and you know uh whether we founded the company or you know what actually happened is we we took it on from someone else we are all every day standing on the shoulders of giants right we're inheriting the organization that was built before us or the people who are raised by somebody else or you know the city or or the culture that we live in we're all trying to move that stuff forward and make a positive difference in the world at least that's what i believe and that's what we try to do and a lot of that did come from our upbringing and the values that our parents had some of that was defined by the communist regime that my father and his family fled 
Some of it was uh, driven by the values that my mother had in her home growing up and also the way that I saw my parents work for different people, kind of, you know, have a good or a bad boss, how that came into our home. You know, we believe here that work and life are integrated, not just balanced in a trade-off because that stuff leaks over. So, you know, it was definitely um, driven by some of those values in our home. And when I was kind of around junior high or high school, our parents started their own business and we got to see them run that the way that they wanted to. And that was really inspiring to us both to see how they cared for their employees and gave them opportunities and made sure that things were running well for them and they were supported and invested in. Um, and then how that extended into their customers and then that I eventually came, you know, to success for the business and, you know, more kind of comfort and flexibility in our home life. So, you know, that was that, you know, that perspective and those things that we experienced um, really colored how we, my brother and I, built our professional careers and what we wanted to do. And we were proud to meet the owners and founders of Compliance Line who really had a lot of that, those same values. I think everyone brings their own culture to work and they, you know, that impacts their team. And we believe that everyone's a leader because everyone influences other people. And the founders really had a lot of those principles of caring about clients, understanding the impact that we're having, and really trying to make sure that this is a workplace here within Compliance Line where people can grow and succeed so that we can serve the people who decide to work with us. And, you know, that's colored by our worldview. It's colored by what we think is right. And, you know, as I think we'll probably get into later today, we just believe that it's the right way to be most effective and to achieve your goals as long as those are honorable goals. Yeah, I just wanted to maybe level set a little bit. It's just that at the top, or, or, or we said in the pre-show, for sure, we haven't really talked about this topic uh, in, in, on the show, certainly not anytime recently, and this idea of servant leadership. And I'm familiar with it, but not certainly probably familiar enough and don't sort of understand it um, maybe like I should. So for folks like me, uh, you know, uh, that maybe don't completely sort of get what we mean or don't completely understand it, can you maybe just give us like a quick level set on when you talk about servant leadership, what does that mean to you? And maybe how is it sort of different than other kind of uh, more um, more widely applied kind of theories or practices of leadership? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll, I'm happy to give you kind of some of uh, the facets that I use to define this diamond. Um, there's certainly more, you know, knowledgeable and, uh, sure. uh, you know, kind of different views on this. But part of what I see about this is that servant leadership is about really being focused on improving others' lives. So if someone's a servant, whether they're bringing you your meal at uh, dinner um, when you're at a restaurant or, that you know, if for somehow you're lucky enough to have a butler or whatever, you know, a Sherpa who's bringing you up the mountain, they're trying to help you and a servant is trying to help other people. And before I get into that more, you know, I think that's contrasted with some, some other things of maybe a more authoritarian, a, a more maybe, you know, fear and authority based uh, management system that says, hey, you're here because I have a contract with you and you better do what you're supposed to do because I'm the boss and you're here to serve me or yeah. this other thing needs to happen and you better get it done. Um, I, you know, I see servant leadership as more understanding that we're all in this together. We're all trying to accomplish a goal. We should all be uh, oriented around our mission. And I realize every day that I can't answer every call, write every line of code, you know, coach every person here. Our whole team needs to do that. Um, so, you know, that, that's what I think is a distinction and I'll dig into that some more, but I think you wanted to jump in, Steve. Yeah, I did just because that's a really, really interesting answer, Giovanni. And it made me think of something, Trish, we just talked about on the Oscar show that we recorded, uh, you know, we recorded it yesterday as we speak and we were talking about that documentary, American Factory. And 
I was thinking of another contrast between the approach of servant leadership, right, which was uh, you're talking about improving other people's lives. And uh, one of the things we talked about in that in that uh, in the context of that movie anyway, was kind of service to the organization. So like yeah. a lot of, and that doesn't have to be like uh, it was the approach of the, of the Chinese company that owned, owned that factory. But I've seen that in other places I've worked too, that we don't care so much about you as a person. We only really care what you're contributing to these organizational goals or team objectives, et cetera. Yes. Which really has a lot of follow on effects. And, you know, I mean, we could probably spend the whole time digging into that. Um, and I'm happy to spend more time on it, but it's, you know, um, I, I haven't seen that documentary. I'd made a note to check it out, but you know, there's this thing, you know, there's this dichotomy um, that that can be described around a more kind of communal or individualistic culture. And, you know, I, I think uh, from what I understand of a lot of uh, Asian cultures, and I think you mentioned that this place was in China, they, they have a lot more of that, you know, we're part of the whole and, you know, they say that the nail that sticks out gets uh, nailed down rather than yeah. the squeaky wheel, uh, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And some of that is part of our culture. And, you know, I think there's always a balance on these things. Uh, you know, I mentioned uh, where my father came from, and they, there's a lot about our culture in this country and that rugged individualism and entrepreneurship that is really valuable. But I also think that some people take that too far and they just plant their heart in just that thing. And everything becomes very transactional and everything becomes very short term. And what have you done for me lately? And, you know, uh, what we believe here as a company and certainly in my heart is that when you seek to make a friend, when you seek to give, then everything is going to work out better. And, uh, you know, if you go out to find a friend, then you're going to um, not find a lot. But if you go out to be a friend, then you're going to find as many as you need. And, you know, I think that when you have that balance and you understand that we need to accomplish this together. And I, you know, in order for us to achieve this mission, you know, the service of the organization um, or whatever you said was the quote from from that documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, we just think that it's a it's a better long term play. You know, you might kind of hit your quarterly earnings by cutting everyone's pay, but those are people who, you know, have families to take care of and there are all these follow on effects. And I think that having that balance of really orienting around that servanthood is, uh, you know, it's the right way to treat people. And uh, I think it's a, it, it gets more done over the long term. You know, Giovanni, one thing I'm thinking of as you're, as you're describing this for us is I really you know, I spent the first half of my early career, the first, say, 12, 13 years, um, not working in an environment where this was the case, right? And so it was it was definitely that top down, it was big four public accounting. And so it was, you know, very much listening to, uh, you know, what, what the organization wanted from us. Um, yep. When I moved into healthcare, that was where I really first started seeing this type of leadership being much more vocalized because sure. I think it was that whole spirit of every one of us in the hospital situation, we were all there, even if we were in HR, even if we were in accounting or whatever, we were there to do something that led to the care of the patient. And so it was a different mindset. Right. Um, do you see that there are different industries? You know, mine is just one tiny example. Do you, do you see there are different industries that embrace this more or where it seems to be kind of landing more? Um, or is this something that really can happen in any kind of um, of an industry? I was going to say yes until that last statement, Trish, and um, I'll kind of refine that. But I think you're spot on about this, that there are some industries where you see more of this. There are some divisions within a company where you see more of this. I think you're going to, you know, uh, I, I love uh, everyone on our growth and sales team, but 
across the world, you're going to see more empathetic, caring, communal, let's work on it and serve together people in maybe HR than in sales or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there are those differences and there, is, there are those trends. But, uh, you know, that last statement that you said is, you know, can it apply everywhere? And it certainly can. And I see this across cultures and across seniority and across divisions and industries. Um, and, you know, I think it's kind of a question of how much do you need to change or how much do you need to go uh, against the flow of kind of the standard in your industry in order to get to this place. Um, but definitely, I've spent most of my uh, career in healthcare, and, you know, you have the caduceus on the um, ambulance, and you have the Hippocratic Oath that defines a lot of healthcare, and we're trying to heal people, and just that, that view of someone needs us is going to, I think that drives a lot of that heart and attracts people to that industry and they're more inclined to do that. But, you know, you can do the kind of McDonald's to Chick-fil-A example and Chick-fil-A is very service forward or you can do the, you know, kind of just stamp your your check-in at the hotel or you're at the Ritz and they're really there to serve you. Like this, this servant mentality can really be applied anywhere. Um, it's really a question of how far is that from the standard and how much do you, do you need to, you know, innovate or change the culture. Um, but at the end of the day, what I think is really powerful about this concept of servant leadership is the more you see it, the more you zero in on it, the more you focus on it, the more you realize that there are other things that you can change that make a really big impact. One of those things that, you know, kind of defines that for us, it's just kind of a meme or a, uh, you know, kind of an image for us to hold on to is when Nick and I came here to Compliance Line, one of the first things that we did, you know, uh, in addition to training on the front lines and understanding all the, the jobs that people were doing so that, you know, we could relate to them was turning our org chart the right side up. So the standard org chart you see has the king, the CEO at the top, and, you know, some people, some people serving him in the court and then some people below them, you know, getting stuff done. And there are two big problems with that. One is that we're wired to serve up, so everyone is looking up to their boss and their manager and their VP and their director and the executive, um, so we're serving those people. Um, and the other part is that the client is nowhere on that org chart. So part of how we exemplify mm -hmm. and explain this concept of servant leadership is, listen, we're all here to serve our clients, right? We have, you know, we have these two or these 400 users and administrators in HR who are using our software. We're trying to serve them. Um, so they're at the top of our org chart. We're all serving up and Nick and I are at the bottom of the org chart and we're serving the directors and the directors are serving the managers and they're serving the front lines who are taking calls, writing code, all that stuff. So that at the top of this whole tree where the, the servant leaders are the roots and we're bringing nutrients up through the tree at the top of this tree are all the birds who come to live, you know, with compliance line for a little bit and we can help, you know, serve them and sustain a little bit part of their day. Giovanni, let me do a quick reset. Uh, we are talking to Giovanni Gallo from Compliance Line. We're talking about leading with a servant's heart. And it's a fascinating conversation and interesting. I've learned a lot already, which is great. And I think the best part of this show. One of the things, Giovanni, I'd like to ask you, and I think I kind of know the answer, but I'd love for you to expand upon it, is it does feel to me like um, servant leadership and this approach, this inverting of the org chart approach that you described is the exception right? And, and certainly not the norm or the rule, at least most places, right? Maybe places you've worked yeah. before. I certainly have worked in interest as well. So I'd love for your thoughts on kind of 
and I think the answer is probably because it's it's a, it's harder, right? It's it's easier yeah. to try to just tell people what to do than to try to yep. understand them and serve them. But I'd love for you maybe to expand upon that just a bit more. If that's really the answer, it's it's just more difficult to do, and maybe not intuitively as valuable or as as, as obvious as as the typical approach. And, and maybe offer some thoughts on what can folks do, whether they're HR leaders or business leaders, to try to to try to start moving the needle more towards that that servant orientation than from say the traditional one that they they probably have become used to. Yeah, sure. I appreciate you asking that, Steve. And yeah, I, I think you're spot on. This is, uh, in my experience, not the norm. This is not talked about a lot in you know MBA textbooks and um, you know the business press and stuff like that. I think there are some things about our culture that are the tide may be shifting a little bit, or this is getting some attention. Um, but I think there are a few reasons for that. Um, I wasn't alive back then, but you know, this may be something that was more common a few hundred years ago when people lived in closer communities and everyone stayed in their hometown and there was a consequence to you uh, dealing with someone improperly. I think that some of that has gone away. Um, again, that might just be kind of uh, an idyllic view of how things used to be. Um, I think there's some part of it that is driven by, we live in a much more transactional culture where you know you click your phone or tap your phone and you know someone pulls up in the car and then you need some food and you order it and someone drops it off and you don't know any of these people and you may never see them again there's not a lot of kind of social capital cost to the way you treat people and that you know makes it way into our organizations where we have a vendor and we're going to fire them and you know uh just try again with somebody else um, so there's that kind of outsource piece of it. And I also think that there's an element that has uh, kind of pushed us away from this, what I think is kind of the right approach for this, where um, the ownership structure of companies and the incentive structure of how those companies are managed has really had a, uh, what I think is a big shift over the past, um, I don't know, call it 100 years. And that is mm -hmm. kind of the you know the concept of managing around quarterly earnings so we can't make the long-term investment that you know we all know it takes to coach somebody and give them a second chance or whatever it is um and you know and then that i think is amplified with the private equity ownership structure where you know you have that that org that org chart that i talked about with you're serving the king ceo at the top well then there are a bunch of those companies serving the portfolio and they're all just kind of on this transactional, I'm going to own the company for three to seven years, squeeze a bunch of stuff out of it, and then move on to the next one. And I think some of those things drive some of this. But you, you made a comment that I'd like to refine a little bit. You said it's maybe not that as intuitive to do the servant leadership aspect. Mm -hmm. I think that as, as you consider this, um, it's maybe not as apparent, but I think it's very intuitive as you look at, and I think this is a key part to implementing this in your role, in your division, in your company, is that it's really very intuitive when you realize that, you know, what everyone knows, what's your greatest asset? The answer is your people. All of your job needs to get done by people, right? Like no one is the sole person who builds a massive enterprise and serves millions of people just by kind of one thing that they do. We all need to rely on other people. And when you realize that we all need to orient around values and, um, you know, this this core of what we're actually trying to do, if that's transactional and what have you done for me lately? And well, can you force me to do this thing that I said I was going to do before I signed a contract? Well, then that's going to lead you in a certain direction. But I think it's very intuitive if you look at, well, if I'm serving people and I'm helping them and I'm helping them achieve their goals, then this is all going to work a lot better. You know, one of my favorite uh, kind of thinkers, philosophers and motivators, uh, Zig Ziglar, said that, um, you know, you can get all that you want in this world if you help enough other people get what they want. 
And I think that that's a very, you know, it's maybe not apparent, but it's intuitive. And that's, that's one thing that animates the way that we lead our team, build our culture, and really both serve our clients and also, this may sound weird, try to serve our vendors because if our vendors are doing a good job, they're going to do a good job for us and we're all going to work on it together. But, you know, I think that there are some of those forces that we're fighting against, um, but there are also some things that if you commit to it and you're willing to look at someone's, you know, value to the organization on a six-month or two-year or ten-year timeline instead of a two-week timeline, then a lot of this stuff starts to make more sense. Giovanni, I like that uh, that that way to sort of assess it and analyze it. I, I recall, maybe I wrote it down as you were talking. I remember when I was doing a, a job um, a long time ago, it was a consulting job, and it was one. Of, it definitely was one of those kind of transactional kind of roles, right? We were. Yep. I felt like you were being judged every day or even every every meeting even, you know, and, and finally, like, uh, I, I remember I was young and I, I talked to my manager about it and he, he gave me a really good piece of advice, which is like, it, it's really not about that. It's really not about that day or that hour or that, that even week even really. It, it's about a long-term relationship. That's what we're trying to build here, right? And it, it's it's a value proposition and, and delivering value over time, right? And, and supporting yep. this client, et cetera, et cetera. So, he was kind of doing it. Now that I think about it, and I've heard you talk for the last 20 minutes or so about some of these concepts, and I kind of think, like, I've never really encountered this in my job before, but I think I did. Like, I think this particular okay. guy, anyway, maybe just himself, right, in this giant organization we were in, which I won't say yeah. the name of it, but it was it's not one you would think of as this paragon of um, enlightened management practices, right? It was a pretty cutthroat <laughs> kind of place for the most part. Sure. But this particular guy, like, I think was exhibiting his own form, and he probably wouldn't have even known the term servant leadership, I don't think. Sure. But that's, I think that's what he was doing. And I wonder if there's more of that out there than we think, or at least that I think. Yeah, that's cool. I love that story. There's, there's a bunch of stuff in there. You know, this manager, he may have been, you know, kind of a, a secret subversive servant leader <laughs> that no one else knew about. And he wasn't even calling was. it that, but yeah, but he was caring for you. Right. And like, if you're a manager, who are the people who work for you? Are they people who need to deliver something so that you can get your bonus and get your job done? Or are these people who you're working together with and you can be a coach instead of a taskmaster and you can help and enable them instead of command and control them? Um, and, you know, it, it's cool to hear that that manager showed some of that to you. And, you know, I think but the fact that he came to mind while we're talking about this is some good evidence that that he was doing that. Um, yeah. But it's a great point that, you know, I, I would love for some listeners to take to heart that you can be that person in your organization. And, you know, servant leadership, we're talking a lot about the service, the service piece, but it's also about leadership. And I think of leadership as influence. And if you're the kind of, you know, lowest or in our organization, the highest on the org chart, and or if you have a bunch of, you know, formal power within the organization or anything in, in between, you can influence people, you can lead people, and you can live this out in a way that is going to make other people's lives better. Um, and obviously, sometimes there are going to be challenges with that, or people might not appreciate it, or whatever it might be. But if you really believe that this is the right way to do it, I imagine that that manager was either successful within that organization because he was more effective on this longer term uh, principle, or maybe you know ended up going somewhere else where that could have uh, was more appreciated. But you know, I think that that's a great example of how you know one person in an organization that doesn't live this culture can live that. And you know, I would encourage any listener to think about how can you apply this to your role? There are the people who, you know, get the results of your work and get the kind of heart and feeling from your interactions. You can apply this in your role. You can have a division with the culture of servant leadership and you could have, you know, a whole company that eventually that, you know, that spreads to. Um, but, you know, you can start small and we can all have this impact if you commit to it and if you believe that this is the right way to do it.
You know, I love that you put that challenge out there to people who are listening, because I think that's what you you want to take away from a, a show like this is that there are some things that you can do, even if this isn't the overall philosophy of the company you're with. Um, you might actually surprise people. I remember coming out of healthcare, I went into technology and was leading an HR and payroll team. And there was a time where, um, you know, the payroll was, it was like we were running behind for some reason. We had some issues, whatever. And I was one of the people, even though I was the head of HR at the time, you know, it was like rolled up my sleeves. I was out there processing payroll and they were so amazed that a yep. leader had, had helped them. Like, and you know, I could have sat in my office and been like, Hey, people get this done, right. Stay late, do whatever it takes. But cause I think that right. happens a lot and it's amazing to me. I didn't do it for any reason other than just to be helpful. That was sort of what I had been experiencing for the last few years and what I had learned. Um, but the amount of loyalty, not just even while I was at that company, but even to this day, I think you you wind up building these really super strong relationships with your teammates um, because you are viewing each other as teammates, not as leader and team necessarily. Um, but you're hopefully then leading by example of like you you should roll up your sleeves. You should want to serve your your fellow teammates because if you're all in it together, you're actually going to build that loyalty, that trust, that engagement. So again, probably a whole nother show, but I, I think it leads to a lot of goodness. Um, by just yeah, taking I love it. Small step. Yeah. And it, it is those small steps and, you know, life is a game of inches and each decision, each interaction is going to either make things better or worse. Um, but, you know, I, I, I love that example. And isn't it crazy, Trish, how surprising that is to people? Oh, they were shocked. They were, no one had ever right? done it before. No one had ever right. helped payroll. Um, and we you know, up, to what we go ahead. I was just going to say what we wound up doing be, because it was such a meaningful moment um, with not just me helping, but like the H I led HR and then I led payroll, which were two separate teams. They sat near each other, but they were absolutely separated. And what we wound up doing because HR as a whole went and pitched in on getting that payroll processed, even though we all didn't know exactly, you know, we needed a little quick training, but what it led to ultimately over the next few years was a lot of cross training in their jobs so that yeah. they felt more, more supported and they felt like they had different career paths so that you had HR people learning how to do payroll. You have payroll people learning HR. It was a really interesting dynamic that came out of just that one time where someone needed help um, and taking that more servant approach versus again, just sort of telling them, Hey, work whatever hours this is going to take and get it done. You know, we, we really came together and then it, it wound up expanding out over the next few years. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's really powerful. Those types of things happen when you leave when when you lead with a servant's heart. And, you know, you said there was this cross training and the team was working better together. That's maybe not going to come up on the strategic plan unless it's a really formal process where I'm going to get some ROI out of, hey, we're all going to work together. And maybe four months from now, we'll need something that's not anticipated, but we'll be better prepared for that. Um, but, you know, that's why, um, you know, we're trying to kind of get this message out into the world and find people who resonate with this because there's there's certainly a base level of objective return on investment that we're all going to do uh, our fiduciary duty around to make sure that we make good decisions. But also some of these values are really where a lot of that magic happens. And that team probably got was more efficient, more productive, more engaged, more satisfied and things like that because you took that approach, Trish, because you were a leader, because you led with a servant's heart. And, you know, for us, um, like we talked about earlier, that came from our parents in a lot of ways, you know, like if we had a family crest, then a motto, the motto would say, see what you can do to help. 
And, you know, I know that when I, I came that. here and there was a problem or, you know, the janitor didn't show up and I took the trash out from everyone's desk. Like people were shocked and looking at me wide eyed, like, am I in trouble? Like, are you about to like clear out my desk? Or something? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, just like, we need to get this thing done. Um, and, you know, that's just I, like, that's just what I think is the right way to lead. And I think that uh, you don't give a lot up other than maybe your ego and your demand that people, you know, uh, pay due deference to you. But, you know, we see that shock a lot of times when we hire people and people come in with that attitude um, that you were talking about, Steve, where they're living and dying by every mistake or every day. Yeah. And, you know, we Nick and I do what we call day zero. Uh, we spend most of the, you know, quote unquote, first day um, of someone's new job sitting with them, learning about their story, talking about, um, you know, what our company's about and what our values are and things like that. And, you know, a good portion of that is helping people understand that you may have been in a different culture, a different organization, a different incentive structure before where you live and die by every mistake and someone's going to, you know, read you the riot act if you, you know, drop a pencil. Uh, but that's not how we do it here. There's room for grace. There's room for mercy. There, this is a place where people can find redemption after they make a mistake. And that's mm -hmm. really the beauty of being in this more communal, team-based, servant-oriented thing where it's not just like, okay, this is transactional. You didn't do what you're supposed to do and you're out of here. Like when we lead by example, we can build those relationships and then we have an actual team instead of just a bunch of resources that we have to orient and make sure that someone's looking over their shoulder. Yeah. Giovanni, that, that makes uh, a great way to kind of think about it. And to me, as you guys were talking, both of you, Trisha and Giovanni, you're ta sharing some of your insights. I, I wrote down the, the, this thing, this idea of like, what do you think? Right. And I feel like so many times in organizations, leaders, especially we're, we're busy telling people what to do or often telling them what not to do or making sure they understand what we want them to do. And we don't really just ask them what they think often enough or, or how they feel. Right. And I think there's a lot of different ways yeah. to, to approach it. And maybe that's a way to start some of this. And I guess the last thing, Giovanni, before we let you go and, and just by a quick weather update, by the way, I think the storm did not direct hit me, Giovanni. I think it's passing by, thankfully. Um, okay. So, <laughs> I'm uh, not sure what direction it's going, but the rain has uh, lightened up a little bit and a little bit. Uh, I, I don't see any trees on the ground. So I do see have there. a small pond You're in my backyard. <laughs> Easy. I'm about ready to launch a boat out the backyard. But um, Giovanni, so, like, I think we'll leave it. We'll, we'll maybe wrap with this. If you're a person in the organization now listening to this and you're thinking, boy, I, I like this, but the, it doesn't really, that's not how things are here. And, and maybe they're not the, 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 the leader or the, the person on the, uh, the top end or bottom of the org chart that you described. If they're just someone in the organization now, whether they're leading people or not, is, it, is there one or two things you'd say to them? Hey, start here or, or here's some good advice or at least to think about this to, to start maybe changing the way um, they approach how they lead and or influence in their organizations uh, for the better. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Thanks for the opportunity, Steve. You know, um, you you brought up this, uh, you know, this concept of asking someone what they think. And I would challenge the, uh, any listener to really consider what do you believe? And my point around that is, what what are you doing this for and what are you trying to get out of it? Because when how you lead as a servant depends 100% on knowing what or who you are serving, right? So if you know who you're serving, if it's just yourself, then you're going to have this very kind of transactional me focused thing that, you know, obviously I, I believe is, is not a very good way to do it. But if, you know, like we were talking about, Trish, if this is healthcare and we're serving people who are sick or their families and they need help, or, you know, we make candy and people are happy when they have candy and that's what we're about, um, either on that big kind of company mission level or just within 
your cubicle or within your own heart, like what's the point of, of, of doing what you're doing? And if you land on, yeah, you know what, if I could be a servant leader, then this thing that I want and the thing that the people around me want, um, then that's going to be easier to achieve. And I'd appreciate people to just, if uh, people would just consider what is a small step that you can take that and commit to and see how that can happen. You know, there's this concept of micro habits and those building into atomic habits and things like that. Um, and we think of that as kind of the Pareto process, kind of applying the 80-20 rule of where's the biggest gap, not just what's most important, right? People are most important and, you know, or maybe your profit is most important or whatever it is, but what is the biggest gap and how can you do something to change that? And that might be just walking around to your team and saying, hey, how are you feeling today? Or uh, starting your meetings with, you know, hey, does anybody have something on their heart or their mind that like, you know, we should kind of get out in the open before we do it? It can be that kind of stuff. Or it can be, you know, implementing some processes and saying, hey, um, you know, in addition to kind of the standard performance review, we're going to make sure that there's some career planning and professional development or a coach or something like that. Um, and I think that if you understand that what's most important is the people around you, the team that you're building, and the culture that you live in. You know, we say here that compliance is culture because if people are safe and, and we're not messing things up, then our whole culture orients properly. I would just encourage people to find something small that they can do that is maybe within their formal power or just within their sphere of influence where you can make someone's day a little bit brighter or you can uh, make some suggestions to, uh, you know, your manager or you can just, you know, start having a more candid and a more collaborative environment by doing some small things and trying to have some uh, better coordination or just making sure that the decisions that are made consider the impacts on the people who are, you know, really need to stick around and contribute in order for us all to get what we want. Giovanni, thanks so much. I think that's a great kind of wrap to this uh, conversation. Super fascinating. I'm sorry we waited 11 years, Trish, to talk about this because um, uh, I kept having <laughs> I more questions. Like it was but, worth uh, the wait. Yeah, this is great stuff. Um, <laughs> Uh, we've been talking to Giovanni Gallo, the co-CEO of Compliance Line. You can find more and learn more about them at complianceline.com. And uh, really cool stuff there. I checked it out this morning, and there's a lot of interesting information there, a lot of resources, and, and a lot of really good uh, kind of uh, ideas around uh, helping your organization, just uh, helping building your culture. I love that compliance equals culture kind of idea, Giovanni, as well. And I, I think our friends at Paychex would believe that, too. So um, thanks so much, Giovanni, for taking some time today, and uh, try to stay dry out there. All right, I will. Steve and Trish, keep doing what you're doing. You guys are servants by running this podcast, giving people value and helping them serve the people around them better. So I'm, I was really happy to share this time with you and uh, I'll keep listening in. You guys are doing a great job. Awesome. Oh, thank thank you. you so much. Thanks for coming on the show. Yes. Great stuff, Trish. All right. Uh, that's a wrap. Good stuff. Enjoy the Oscars this weekend. I know I will. I absolutely will. Good. We should, yeah, we should put money on this. I know we should. All right. I'll send you a note later. Um, thank you so much everybody, for listening to the HR happy hour show. Uh, my name is Steve Bose for Trish McFarland for our guest Giovanni Gallo. Thanks to our friends at paychecks uh, as well. Check them out at paychecks.com. Uh, this has been the HR happy hour show. We will see you next time. And bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR happy hour show. Your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.